comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Did anybody automatically get off? Like a get off? No. Sometimes life gives you a second chance. Sometimes you find yourself re-recording monologues you recorded weeks ago for an episode that should have already aired. Hi, I'm the Clairvoyant, and you're listening to Blind Buy: A Bargain Bin Adventure. Bloody Brody will join me shortly. Blind Buy is a show where we grab random bad movies, review said movies, and pass those movies on to you, the victim. Since waterboarding is of questionable legality, you can torture yourself or enemies by signing them up to receive all five movies reviewed in Season 1 on our Facebook slash Blind Buy podcast or Twitter at Blind Buy. Canadian sweepstakes laws apply. I know everyone's had a day like this. You're sitting there thinking back about the movie you watched for your niche audience podcast, and suddenly you really, really have a burning desire to punch Nick Giannopoulos in the face. So you reach out to him, and his agent tells you no, you in fact cannot punch Nick Giannopoulos in the face. Where am I going with this? These monologues are getting weird. Anyway, if you like Australians, The Wiggles, and a comedy with so few laughs you can count them on one hand, you're in for a treat. Let's meet the players in today's little game. I have no elaborate intro this episode. There's me, there's Bloody Brody, there's someone else, and we're watching the wannabes. Alright, welcome back to Blind Buy, a bargain bin adventure where it doesn't matter if your movie is good or not, I'm gonna shit on it anyway. Oh hey, we're not even five minutes in, and I've already started cursing. It's like, it's like dying during the opening cutscene. So we're here with... Bloody Brody, or Bashful Brody, as he's called, my comic foil. But no one cares about him. We're also joined by our lovely special guest, Mike Still, from the Nerdcore Cabaret Podcast. How are you, Mike? Hello. I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing... Well, I'd be better if I hadn't watched this movie. Yeah? Or, I, what am I saying? I should, I should say I'm doing... All right! Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. You folks will get that in an hour or so. <laughs> So, Mike, tell us a bit about the Nerdcore Cabaret and what you guys do on there. Sure. The Nerdcore Cabaret is a spinoff of Matt Valgertson's uh, radio show. Matt is our fearless leader, our host, and with the most. And he's invited me and a couple of our friends along. It's, um, he has a show on CJTR Community Radio every Thursday from 8 to 10, where he plays nerdy music and discusses nerdy topics. And... The spinoff podcast that I'm on is much more just discussion, um, rambling debates, and uh, pop culture news. Uh, so that's what we do. I, I tend to be the, the movie-focused person on the show who sits back and completely ignores all the video game talks. I'm not known to know Mass Effect and all that stuff. But, 
Yeah, very similar to this, kind of talking about movies that have come out, trashing stuff. So this is a natural move over to this one. Things get really heated. Uh, in a sexy way. <laughs> oh. We tend to have kind of sexual titles for our episodes, like uh, Don't Do Sexy Things With Your Dog. It was, a, it was a very classic episode where we had to discuss important life lessons about canines. And uh, Sugity Sudi, I'm coming for that Turian booty. <laughs> and so where might a listener be able to find your show aside from the radio itself yeah well for the uh for the podcast that we do it's on itunes it's on lips i believe it is and itunes itunes is the most best idea or you can google nerdcore cabaret and find a few links i'm sure okay so uh how's how's everyone's week been going so far go going good well this movie kind of put a dent in it feel the same way i feel you so, Mike, how's, how's your week been treating you so far? So far, so good. Um, I want it to be over, though. Uh, uh, uh-huh. uh. <laughs> oh, oh, that took me a while. <laughs> well, I'm out. <laughs> you guys continue. So the movie we are reviewing today at 93 minutes long is 2003's The Wannabes, released in some of North America as Criminal Ways, and the rest of the world as Harry Potter and the Death of Cinema as a medium. So it's directed by Nick Giannopoulos, written by Nick Giannopoulos, produced by Nick Giannopoulos, and starring Nick Giannopoulos, because it worked for Tommy Wiseau. The goofy version of The Room. (laughs) Oh yeah, the, The Room wasn't goofy enough. Yeah. You feel every second of those 93 minutes. Yeah. There's a point where I thought, well, this got to be wrapping up soon. I looked at it and it was 50 minutes. I went, oh my God, I, I have so much more to go and I don't know where it's going. I had the same thought. I kept touching the little select button on my PS3 controller. I think the biggest plot twist was how much time I had left. Yeah, it, well, I think it doesn't help that it's like multiple movie ideas shoehorned together into a Frankenstein monster, but... Uh, yeah, it absolutely, it feels much longer than it is. Uh, so I want to talk a bit about Mr. Giannopoulos, because I have five reasons that Nick Giannopoulos is one of the worst human beings to walk this earth. <laughs> Number one, of course, he made this movie. Number two, if you look him up, he tries to start feuds with random celebrities, often, including Drake. I don't know why, he wants the publicity, I guess it works for him. Three, he refused to be on our podcast, so he's a... That bastard. Number four, he if you watch interviews with him, he doesn't promote it like, yeah, I made a Australian comedy. He promotes it like, yeah, what we're doing is creating movie magic. This is true art in its highest form. Not in those exact words, but that's the vibe you get. It's like, dude, stop taking yourself so seriously. You, you sh-. And number five, I love this. If you go to the IMDb page for this or any other of Nick Giannopoulos' movies, there's a man commenting named NickTheGreek66, who has since changed his username to NickGeo, and he only comments on Nick Giannopoulos movies, giving them positive reviews, uh, providing promotional material for the movies, and fighting with fans who both give it negative reviews and insinuate that he is Nick Giannopoulos. Do you think he is? I absolutely am 100% positive that it is him. I love the idea that it's actually, it's not him, it's just 
Nick Giannopoulos' biggest fan, who really has nothing better to do with his time. At one than... point, uh, someone called him out on being Nick Giannopoulos, and he responded with, there are other Greek guys named Nick. This is true. There are a lot of them. <laughs> but I, th- I think what he did was a good idea, but maybe change your name. <laughs> is That's how you do it. It's funny how he takes his film career so seriously but his movies are not serious at all they're ridiculously goofy in the interview he was talking about draft after draft that he was doing for the wog boy 2 uh his the movie he made before or after this and it's how did it get through multiple draft processes and then make it onto the screen i'm glad you brought up the writing process because that's what fascinated me about this movie because you know, he comes from a sketch comedy background. I was looking up some of this stuff about this this actor um, slash writer, and it seems like he came, he comes from um, uh, a background of a TV series he had called Acropolis Now, The Wog Boy. Um, apparently, he's a he's a pioneer in wog humor uh, from the late '80s all the way until until recently. And um, for those of you not familiar, which I wasn't until I looked it up, uh, I guess wog is catch-all racist term in Australia, kind of meaning just immigrants or, or somebody who, who isn't Australian, you know, white, several generations of, uh, of being there. So made me think of kind of uh, the equivalent of Russell Peters. You know, Russell, it, it's because they kind of describe wog humor as, um, you know, second generation immigrants, people who were born in Australia but have parents who are from another country and have accents. So it's, it's okay for them to do racist caricatures. For, for white people to laugh at and get their get their racist humor out of the way. He's taking it back. Yeah, yeah. But the one thing that, I mean, you have to give him credit for is, from what I heard, in a lot of places in the world, England, uh, it still is considered, I can't verify this, a, a, a terrible, you know, pejorative word. But in Australia, they took it back. They, it's... It has. It's not as offensive. It's more associated with him and his comedy. So, good for him, I guess. Are we going to have to censor the word "wog" now? I really hope so. People have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> that would be beautiful. He's a <laughs> comedian. That is also correct. <laughs> yeah, this is true as well. Actually, yes, he is a beep comedian. The beep explains his whole comedy career in many <laughs> ways in one. Pioneer of beat comedy style. <laughs> so my first impressions of the menu screen menu, I'm not down. My first impressions of the other movies were all right. I'm not down. <laughs> it has more options than the other movie we've seen because <laughs> yes. it has trailers and I think special features and I don't think there are special features. But I think there are at least settings. <laughs> oh, okay. And there's an audio commentary. Of Nick Giannopoulos just completely flating himself <laughs> for, the, for the listening audience. I gotta watch that. <laughs> oh, but then I have to watch the thing again. Yeah, I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. So the first thing we see is CinemaVault.com. It's produced by a website. Oh God! And then we start with applause on a black screen, and it wasn't me. And I was watching this movie alone, so I assume it's coming from the movie. Uh, we get brief title credits, including Meeting Our Hero, Nick Giannopoulos, which name should be censored in this podcast. 
<laughs> over a cover of Suspicious Minds by a black Elvis impersonator. Now, okay, that's pause here. This is where I wanted to start off with. I couldn't tell at first. Was this a black Elvis impersonator, or was it a person in blackface doing an Elvis impersonation? I really couldn't tell. I, that is a good question. I looked it up. It was a, actually, well, he had no picture, but the name sounded like it was like a, you know an African name. Okay. So I, I so does that does that make Mike a little racist? It could. It could. Maybe we're learning a lot about each other on this one. <laughs> So, it appears that he's performing on a contest show, like American Idol or The Voice, uh, and we cut to a mom comforting a kid about to go on next, a kid who looks suspiciously like he's going to grow up to be Nick Giannopoulos because he has fake birthmarks in the same place. He's got an anti-piercing. <laughs> so, she's telling him not to worry, even though the judge, Jimmy King, looks like a bit of a hole. And he does a quick song and dance routine to You're the One That I Want, which isn't terrible for a kid. He's pretty flat. He loves, he loves Greece. This movie shows that he loves Greece. <laughs> I love Greece too, which this movie might have ruined Greece for me. It shows that he loves one song from Greece. <laughs> he didn't get That's... past that part. <laughs> so it's not the worst performance. I don't know if it's talent show caliber, but I've I've heard much worse. But Jimmy King hits the gong almost immediately. Hitting the gong is this movie's version of pressing the buzzer. His dancing was pretty atrocious, though. The dancing was bad. It was clearly they hired an actor to sing and dance instead of a singer to act. Which, I mean, this is his only scene, so what's the point? But... It gets cut short, and the judge then gives him, like, the sassiest, worst review he's ever given. Like, it's like me as a talent show judge. I don't even remember how it went, but it was like, your sh- and you should feel bad. He says that you have no, um, is it conviction? So, like, no, yeah, something along those lines. Like Sorry, no, no, he has no commitment. No commitment. But he did do something that he hasn't done for anybody. He gave him a zero. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, when they introduced him before he started singing and dancing, did they reverse... Was he little Danny or little Daddy? He's Danny. What the I heck? heard Daddy for some reason. I heard Danny most of the movie, but that's the accent. And yeah. my mental association with the room. I, I definitely I, heard little little Daddy, too, at some point. But that, I think it is just their, their uh, difficult accents. But uh, that, that's a pretty good nickname, too. Especially for a young child. Yeah, because I swore, I kept rewinding, I'm like, are they hearing, are they saying daddy? <laughs> I feel we should point out at this point that this movie is entirely produced in Australia, and so everyone's Australian, even the Americans. Yeah. So we cut to a modern day Nick Giannopoulos with sweatband, tights, leg warmers, a sweater with cut off sleeves. Ugh. He's giving a speech to a group of old people. My stomach just started to get a little sick. <laughs> It becomes apparent quickly that he's trying to teach them the song and dance routine from from his his performance as a kid, which that, that must have really f***ed him up because he has issues if this is still on his mind twenty five years later. Yeah, it's a secret origin story. If he's a superhero. <laughs> they try to establish right away that this is this is Danny's character. He's he's kind of lame. He's kind of uh, got a terrible sense of humor not unlike nick Ginopoulos. um has bad hair yeah and, and it, it kind of sets up the culture clash that's going to happen in this movie here is that he's a very innocent very kind of 
you know, child-friendly sense of humor, and and uh, and, and he's hanging out with seniors and showing them the dance. That's his aspirations. He reminds me of Bloody Brody in that his parents seem to have put him in every single class as a kid. Hey, now that's not true. I asked to be in those classes and regretted them after. <laughs> I should also mention that he kind of somewhat reminded me of Alfred Molina in Spider-Man 2. There's a little <laughs> octopus thing going on. Yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. <laughs> Especially with the haircut. Yeah. So after class, his mom introduces him to Marcus Green and Stuart Black. Get it? Like the ice cream company, Green and Black? No. Uh, no I don't I, think that's just... I thought it was, I thought it was going to be a um, uh, Reservoir Dogs kind of situation there. That's probably more accurate. They are pulling off a heist. Or like... Spoiler alert. The short story, <laughs> The Greens and the Blacks. There's a lot of things it could be, but probably wasn't. Did anybody automatically get off? Like a... Get off? No. Oh, God, no. Um, get off a mafia vibe off of them, like, immediately. Yeah, but that's because Russell Dykstra scares me. Yeah. <laughs> that was the intention, especially with some of the casting there, that they're... Rough and tumble types. Yeah. So, as I just mentioned, Marcus is played by the multiple award-winning Russell Dykstra, who's not the biggest name in this movie. Uh, (laughs) But his mom then informs him that they're going to help him find work, and he's like, I have work as an actor. His mom points out he had one role as an extra, which doesn't surprise me by how much Nick Giannopoulos is absolutely chewing the furniture two minutes into the movie. His mom says, you're a wannabe actor, just like a wannabe singer and a wannabe dancer. Name. Take three shots. She said it. There you go. You're going to be drunk by the end of this movie, by the way, if you're actually doing this. Don't. I I think one episode, I'm going to start doing shots for every name drop. (laughs) So there's a quick daddy issue scene about how he doesn't know his father, but it's on this wall of pictures. That's that's actually the the first and probably best moment where I have to confess I actually laughed at the movie um, because he has, Danny has a line he says I'd have more respect for my father if he ever showed me which one he actually was <laughs> I thought that was pretty great personally there was a few moments I, I admit my this will be a lot later but my laughing moment was probably the most cringeworthy scene no don't even yeah. well, that, was that's the, fore, foreshadowing we'll get to that scene but I know what you're talking about and Mm. There's mm. there are parts. So Danny says he's shooting a movie tomorrow with Bill Gennaro, which I thought was a made-up name at this point. And Russell Dykstra basically says, "Guess you didn't want five thousand dollars and leaves." So a fun game at this point is to pause the movie at any time and examine the weird f-ing expression that is inevitably on Nick Giannopoulos's face. Try and figure out what he's looking at in the picture too. He overacts this whole movie, and it bites the hell out of me. All right. His mom then says, you know, Danny, you're my son, and I love you, but you're such a loser. And until this point, I didn't realize this was an autobiopic. Uh, oh, yeah. I actually really like his mom for this. <laughs> She's got sass and understands her. Not many moms know their sons are sh- yeah, most of them are, oh, my kid's an angel. And she's like, no, Nick Giannopoulos. You're sh-. And this is like, where you think there's going to be kind of an e- easy setup for this movie, is that 
Danny always wanted to be, you know, a star. He always wanted to sing and dance and act for a living. And, you know, by the end of this movie, you're going to go, oh, you know what? He pulled it together and became a star. And if only the plot of this movie was that simple. If only <laughs> this movie understood the concept of paying off in Act 3 what you put in Act 1. <laughs> yeah. Be prepared for some twists. So then we cut to outside. There's a cheeky kids movie score. Now, I mentioned this last episode, so I want to describe what I mean. A cheeky kids movie score is like those those pieces in the background they are just way too happy and uplifting. They almost don't even belong in a feature film because it's straight out of like a Dennis the Menace episode. It's music that you would hear off of a movie of Beethoven. Like yeah. Like the movie about the dog. It, it's like it's screaming at you, this movie is fun. Examples are like... So Danny shows up at the house on the business card I missed him getting, and this little kid asks him if he's a bad man. So I don't even want to recount this conversation, so you two take it away. He asks if he's a bad man, and uh, it's a little hazy. And then he asks if he's got a throbbing schlong. (laughs) Nick's looking a little confused. And then he says, as Uncle says, if he sees a stranger, and if he's got a throbbing schlong, he shouldn't talk to him. This is good advice. Coming from a kid... Saying throbbing schlong, I've never felt so uncomfortable in my life. Maybe that's more accepted in Australia? (laughs) I don't think it is. I don't think throbbing schlong should ever be said. I feel like like if if this child approaches adults and asks if they have a a throbbing schlong, and they are pedophiles, that that he's going to exacerbate the situation. He's making things much worse. Yeah, that's not, no, you don't, you're doing things wrong. Although it never hurts to ask. (laughs) In this case, actually, it might. Yes. (laughs) So then Russell Dykstra shows up and whisks him away to a garage, I think. I assume that's what it is. So Danny points out a toy house, and Russell says, It's a model! And he gets really defensive. Actually, it's a school for ants. And (laughs) And Russell Dykstra's like... He gets so mad, like, you know, it's a model! And he's such a good actor, and I don't know why this happened and why he's here. And is this supposed to be funny? Like, them, like, oh, nice toy house, it's a model. Ha! There were a lot of points where I'm not sure if the jokes were jokes or just part of the movie. This movie doesn't really have jokes, per se. It (laughs) just has moments. Yeah. Lucky moments where you laugh. Yeah. It has flukes. (laughs) So the other guy, Stewie, starts introducing him to the rest of the gang. First dude is this big, bald guy with a knife. And Danny goes to shake his hand, and he straight up says, I never touched the bare flesh of other men, which I have to admit was the first of a handful of times that I laughed out loud at this movie. Yeah, that was, um, that's, that's Adrian, and uh, as soon as you hear a line like that, you know something's got to be up. This is a defining character moment for what the running gag with this person is going to be for the rest of the movie, and uh, I'll take it from there, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I took it very intimidating with an underlining bit of feminine undertone. Oh, well, that's the whole thing. You know, I don't. 
it's like a, like I'm not a queer. Like it's you know it's that's kind of the the point. It's a bit too on the nose, you know. It's a bit yeah. <laughs> it wasn't said accidentally. Yeah. Then he gets introduced to Stewie's little brother, who's pumping iron. His name's Hammer. He's and wearing a D12 necklace, I guess, bling bling. I hoped for for most of this movie that I was mishearing when they said Hammer until I eventually came to terms with it. What did you think they were saying? I didn't know, but I hoped it wasn't Hammer. Well, it sounds like they're saying Hammer because of the accent. So the same way it was, it was uh, little, was it uh, little daddy? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Hammer. He is the worst, like bleach blonde hair. Yeah, I think it's with the, with the hair and the D twelve thing, it's like okay, I oh, got it, Eminem. All right, go on. That's what yeah. I was thinking too. Yeah, he accuses Danny of being gay in uh, less acceptable language. <laughs> I I was starting to get a more gay vibe from yeah, him. and like I'm pretty sure this is the starting of a gay gangbang porno <laughs> in the garage. I mean, uh, I feel like I agree. I thought, oh, this character is is gay and he doesn't know it, and uh, that's going to be a misdirect, and we're going to find that out later on that he is gay and and that's his, his secret, but. It's nope. full of subverting tropes, just like the, good movies are known to do. They all seem feminine in their own way. Yeah. The thing about Hammer, uh, aside from him being like a Bruno from Down Under, he says bitch more than Jesse Pinkman. I like, love Hammer. He reminds me of like the Australians, the Australians J-Rock from Trailer <laughs> Park Boys. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if like he's supposed to be like a... I was trying to think, like, I know what they're going for with the M&M thing, but what is, like, the term for that? Like, in England, it's chav. In Australia, yeah. what is it? Is it still chav? Is this what they call bogans? What's a bogan? I know nothing about Australia. What's going on? Is that chavamite? I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, you get the impression that these fellas are real nasty types. Uh, until they drop the bombshell on them that they want to be a children's group, just like the Wiggles. I think the Wiggles should have a cameo in this. <laughs> oh no, I, I think uh, Nick has a bone to pick with the Wiggles. I don't know if it's a, if it. There's definitely something going on there. Whether it's jealousy, it was whether, probably a feud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe maybe they rubbed them the wrong way. Where he met them and went, "Hi, I'm famous too." <laughs> and that's Damn it, it Nick is creating too much beef, more than Kanye West has created. Yeah, well, this guy's like the Australian Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> This movie is 100% grudge-based. <laughs> so, I think Hammer at this point is, like, hammering it up a bit more than Nick is, but um, it'll balance out. So Danny, of course, refuses to join their Wiggles group, <laughs> saying nothing will change his mind. And then Isla Fisher shows up. Yes! What? Sure. What? 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 Don't. Don't. What? 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 Give us this glory. Okay, so what? Like, no... <laughs> What? <laughs> Mrs. Baron Cohen. This is the best part of the movie. Isla Fisher. Not Amy Adams. Isla Fisher. How did this happen? I understand that the only real big credit she was in at this point was Scooby-Doo as Mary Jane, but how did this happen? Yeah, she was a she was an Australian soap star before that, and, you know, girls gotta eat, right? I love how Criminal Ways, the North American release, the cover shows Isla Fisher because it was released in 2009, while the 2003 original movie has her in the background really tiny. Yeah, of course. She, she can't hog the spotlight from Nick. Nick has to be about a third of the, of the box covers so that you know it's his movie. 
So I need a moment. <laughs> this, this is this is bothersome. Okay, so Russell Dykstra introduces Danny to his little sister Kirsty, played by Isla F***ing Fisher, <laughs> who's hanging up her laundry seductively. That's a thing. Yes. Uh, he flirts with her awkwardly. There's some dumb innuendo, and then he decides he was being unfair and has changed his mind. Which this is the part where my soul died because I realized instantly she's the love interest. Yeah. No, kind I don't of. agree with this. <laughs> yeah. Not with Nick. Me. So, I would like to point out that, in all fairness, he didn't give them a chance. Like, just a bunch of men are like, hey, we want to be a children's group, and he just, huh, walks away. Instead of like, hey, let's see what you can do, and then walking away. <laughs> yeah, as if he's, I don't know, is that because of how he looks at this group, or does he think, you know, I'm not going to be in some children's group? I think both. Yeah, which is, it seems like, I don't think children's entertainer is above him at this point. He, he teaches <laughs> seniors how to sing, you're the one that I want, over and over and over again. Why not? Why not try and make some money at birthday parties? He's party? also the extra in a movie starring Bill Gennaro. Oh, Bill Gennaro! <laughs> we'll get the uh, Bill Gennaro. I think his character should have his own IMDb page. <laughs> and so we're going up with this here, and um, it's it's actually not even just that she set up this love interest. I mean, that's that's kind of what the scene goes to. But then it turns out there's a fake out at the end of the scene. There's a fake out where you realize that everything isn't as it seems. Because as soon as he walks away, Isla Fisher reaches into her shirt and pulls out falsies. Yeah, she just pulls them out and like, oh, like it, like it feels so good to have them gone. It was a ruse. She was trying to seduce him. She, that's part of their plan, is to seduce Nick Giannopoulos, because their plan would never succeed without him. That's what I and call this is where good his camera would zoom in on Frollo's eyes as he sinisterly walks away. <laughs> yeah. So, let's see what the gang can do. <laughs> we start with Hammer. Um, he does a crass and uh, NSFW rap about, I think, having sex with frogs? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There was, That's what I got out of it. I heard frogs in there. Is that Australian slang? <laughs> the bird? <laughs> let's, let's say that. Let's... Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say that's Australian slang. Okay. I I feel like this movie wasn't sure if they wanted to make Hammer gay or not. <laughs> because at the first half of the movie, that whole rap gave off a very gay vibe. But then yeah. later on, he's very straight. He's yeah. a little curious, maybe. Yeah, he's, he's he dabbles. So then we get Stewie in a ferret costume which Danny immediately recognizes as a ferret somehow. <laughs> Though it doesn't look like a ferret. It just looks like a big stuffed furry suit. I find pictures of this on IMDb right now, and you can see the... Yeah, I, it, it's just a kind of rodent in general. <laughs> yeah. It's a mouse. And Stewie explains he wanted a native animal to Australia, which Danny points out immediately, ferrets are not native to Australia. Is this common knowledge in Australia? The people just know, oh, everybody knows that ferrets aren't native to Australia. Well, I haven't seen any ferrets, have you? <laughs> they figured it out. <laughs> and so then Kirsty walks up, rips off its tail, and says, he's a wombat now. And wombat is something you can tell automatically are native to Australian, because they have a dumb name. I feel like they missed the mark here on making it a wallaby. Yeah. <laughs> it could be the wannabe wallaby. Yeah. 
I would say for a good chunk of the movie, I wasn't sure if they were saying the Wallabies or the Wannabes. Yeah. <laughs> Wallabies would be a good name. Wannabes was as well, actually. The pun it, is right there. Yeah. <laughs> and they missed it. He missed it, specifically. Nick, I thought you were funny. I thought you were a comedian. A wog comedian, no less. A bleep comedian. <laughs> so then we get the big angry bald guy, Adrian, doing nothing and growling, which is pretty much what he's done at this point, which is why he's the only major character really to not appear on the cover of the movie. Well, the only major character at this point. We get a slew of strange characters. That was, that's his talent, though, is being <laughs> quiet. Yeah. Then we get Rusty D. He's the shy one. <laughs> Russell Dykstra is juggling two apples. Too impressive. I wouldn't call that juggling, though. He's just tossing them. So why are we supposed to get the feeling that Nick Giannopoulos is the talented one here? Because <laughs> that's what the setup is. You know, and I thought, you know, this is, okay, I get the setup here. This seems pretty logical. It's, it's Nick Giannopoulos is trying to teach these people. You know, he doesn't have many talents, but the ones that he does have are that he knows show business, or at least pretends to know show business, so he can teach these um, these these wannabes, <laughs> these these uh, bumbling idiots. He can teach them a couple of things that are out of their out of their element. Uh, I thought there'd be more of this, but no. It's just, maybe you should juggle three things instead of two. Maybe that's an idea he gives him. He gives him when he's watching that display. So I feel that these were actually just the actors auditioning for their roles in this movie. What can you do? I can juggle two apples. You're hired. Show us your stuff. What do you got? What do you got? (laughs) Nick's like, let's see your comedy bit. And and Adrian just stands there. He's like, silence. I like it. It's simple. Silence is the best something. Andy Kaufman. Yeah, I was trying to think (laughs) of his name. So, Russell Dykstra, who, by the way, is I think I said his name earlier, but I just can't remember it. Uh, Marcus. Marcus. Marky Marcus. Marcus. <laughs> Explains that they have a gig in two weeks at some rich dude's house, and they need his help because they are just wannabes. That's the fourth shot. One more, and you got it down your drink. If I had liquor right now, I'd be wasted already. Wait, I'm not lightweight. That's four shots. I can do this. I think the drinking game would have definitely improved this movie. It would have. Yeah, drink every time they say wannabes. That'd be... Wow. Actually, this is the perfect movie to plug the contest or draw. Yeah. You could win this movie. You can have your own drinking games. And die of alcohol poisoning. And sue us. We have no money. We're going to shut down. You're going to deprive millions, if not a couple hundred fans, <laughs> of quality, half-quality, decent listening I feel like you're making fun of my really good idea. (laughs) Why would I do that? I don't know. So Russell offers him five grand to help. And do you know what five grand is? Technically, that is 47.19.64 Canadian. That is 35.52.15 US. And it's also worthless because Australian money looks faker than Canadian money. And no one's going to accept that Monopoly shit anywhere. So then we get our third close-up of Nick Giannopoulos' leg warmers in the first 15 minutes. Because it's a plot point. It's an important plot point. Leg warmers are funny, guys. Guys. Oh, by the way, Clairvoyant, I ran out of leg warmers. I was wondering if I could borrow yours. I burned them. 
Why would you? So, he tells the gang that they have to learn to trust each other. So we get a montage of grown men doing trust exercises. Which is the most original joke you can possibly put in your movie. And there's nothing particularly funny or, yeah, original about the scene. It's just grown men doing trust exercises. This was written into a movie that got produced. This exists. It made its way overseas. And I am going to burn every screenplay I ever attempted to write. I can't believe that, oh my god, I'm mad. It feels like this is the point in the script where Nick is just going, you know, okay, I'll, they're going to do a montage of them learning teamwork and the funny, you know, fish out of water. Yeah. <laughs> about, you know, how these people learn to coexist, how they, you know, there's jokes about how he's reacting to them, jokes about how they're reacting to him. And he's like, I'll just come back and fill this in later. Let's just put, uh, I don't know, trust exercise. I'll come back and, and fix that later on. Let's, let, and then he just never did. He never I think he just put... Back montage in brackets. Yeah, maybe they just get out on the day. <laughs> See, I don't know if I... It is a montage, but I wouldn't call it a montage only because a montage usually has different exercises. This is a montage of them doing just the one trust exercise. <laughs> this yeah. is, they also do a diaphragm exercise. That was a little uncomfortable, but <laughs> that felt like its own montage on its yeah, own. They put, they, he's like, just put my put your hands anywhere. So they're, they're literally like touching him all over his body. His head? And his head on his, like, pelvis, it's its a little scary. Yeah. I, I actually had, I took acting classes at one point, and I had to do this. Was it fun? You had to t- touch Nick Giannopoulos? <laughs> no, they, they touched me, and I was a little, made me a little flush. How, how old were you? I was two. Can you show us on this doll where they, where they touched you? It was a family thing. <laughs> if this no. is the darkest joke we have on the show tonight, then I feel okay. <laughs> Otherwise, we've just taken a very bad turn. Yeah. Seriously, so, though, I did have to do this, and what they were doing is just flushing out the bad vibes. Or I don't. Okay. Oh my god, it was a little weird. So, of course, during the montage, Adrian doesn't catch Nick Giannopoulos, and the crowd goes wild and throws their money at him, according to his script. And cliche joke. And then, I thought it was going to happen a lot sooner, actually. Yeah, it happened. Like usually, the setup is, you know, let's try it once. Oh, it worked. Let's try it twice, and it worked. Let's try it a third time, and you fall. But they did it like seven or eight times before you got the punchline. That was such an obvious, you know, obvious result. You know, everyone know. Okay, when it gets time for one of them, you know, obviously Adrian doesn't touch people. As we we know that he doesn't touch people. We've already been established that a minute ago. When it's his turn to catch Nick, Nick's going to fall because Nick is the funny guy. He's the pratfall guy. Which I'm very thankful for. If if we can count our blessings, I'm thankful that he's the pratfall guy. He, for this scene, but then it completely changes. That's true. Well, he's, he's got, he gets some. He gets his share. His dose. I uh, just dislike because I was expecting it earlier. <laughs> it's like a joke that usually happens earlier than... Yeah, like Mike was saying, the punchline was way too late. Yeah. And then you're like, wow, I knew that punchline. I just expected you to get to it earlier. Yeah, I was actually, like, near the end, I was like, maybe they're not going to do it. That and would be weird. But then that would be weird. a better laugh if, they, if, if for some reason, you know, Nick not, uh, was caught by Adrian. He, he decided he wasn't going to touch him. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, you'd be confused because they didn't do... The thing, but I I would be more amused. It'd be like a tease. 
So yeah. then Nick is, or I guess Dan is the character's name, but I like to think that he's not acting and this is just him. He's asking Kirsty how the costumes are going. So let's take a second to note that Isla Fisher is in this movie. <laughs> Why is she in this movie? What could they possibly have done to secure Isla Fisher, even pre-stardom? Stolen a dog? <laughs> Was she married to Sasha Baron Cohen at this point? Not yet. Not for another seven years or so. Hmm. <laughs> so he gives her some dressmaking patterns because he went to dressmaking school. He won an award for being the best seamstress. I mean, seaman. I mean, seam guy. Why does hey. every joke in this movie have to go blue? Yeah. Those Australians and their ribaldry. It's it, for kids. It seemed like that. Near the beginning, or this area, there was a lot of, like, mishearing, but saying weird shit anyways, and then they dropped that joke, like, yeah, was, later on. It was, like, the worst parts of Austin Powers condensed into a movie. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> this is There's very Austin Powers kind of vibe to this movie. Um, so then Isla Fisher insults his leg warmers, which is our fourth close-up. A sad moment, too. It is. She says the very flash dance, which he takes offense to. Yeah, it's a misunderstanding. <laughs> uh, then we get a montage of him specifically training Stewie to sing and dance for some reason. And they're saying funk a lot, and I'm dreading the moment they decide to replace an F-bomb with funk, but it doesn't come. So there's your tease. <laughs> so well, like That would be a payoff, and this movie doesn't have those things. <laughs> Uh, then we get a beautiful, heartwarming scene of Nick Giannopoulos proving he can sew. <laughs> they should have called this movie Nick Giannopoulos' Look What I Can Do. <laughs> I was hoping the rest of that scene where it was just close up on his hand sewing was the rest of the movie. <laughs> he, is, he doesn't move his hand in time. Uh, so she seems impressed with his work. And she, oh, it looks like she's starting to change her mind about him. Ugh. Stop. So yeah, Isla Fisher is going to totally hook up with Nick Giannopoulos. It seems more likely she'd go after that Bruno guy, am I right? That would have been the best (laughs) plot twist there. (laughs) So then we get a scene of Adrian, big angry bald dude, in the bathroom. I love this scene. That's Adrian, the one who doesn't touch man flesh. Yeah. And so, of course, a shower-capped Nick Giannopoulos was showering. And he just talks about how they need to bond more and really expose themselves to each other. Oh, I get it. Expose. As he's rubbing his parts with the yeah. towel, like, furiously. Very. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, that's, that's really the focal point of this scene, is Nick's, Nick's crotch. It's yeah. Like, just going to town in a very inappropriate way, right in front of somebody. And it's supposed to be awkward about how he's just so free and liberated and doesn't care that there's a grown man watching him rub his junk and that and and uh adrian's eyes are transfixed by the way he cannot take his eyes off of nick's crotch i never noticed that actually so i've consulted experts and i ran detailed simulations and there's exactly a zero percent chance that nick giannopoulos was wearing a sock during this scene it's free he's just he's oh why do we need those just flapping in the wind I when I said I love this scene, I hated it until the end of the scene. That's it, it saved the rest of the scene. And unfortunately, it was something that Nick did. 
but I hate to give him credit. He touched, uh, he touched Adrian's face or his shoulder or something. Yeah. And Adrian looked petrified and then ran away. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got, uh, he's got some issues to work through. Yeah. He has to think about what it meant to, to stare at this man's package. Almost, (laughs) almost longingly. Foreshadowing. So then Nick confronts Kirsty about the flash dance comment that she made about his leg warmers. I wrote flash dash. And then that night, he sadly burns his leg warmers on the barbecue. So R.I.P. leg warmers. The scene is dumb, but I appreciate that it plays the song from Flashdance while he does it. Yeah. You Oh, you, you do have a sense of humor. I feel Very like that was, down. like, the guy who, like, composed the score and compiled the soundtrack. That was his idea. And Nick Washington, like, why would you do that? That's not funny. So he then tells Kirsty that he's going to confront Adrian about not cooperating. And I'm not going to justify the rest of this scene with a written description. Because uh, he does his karate moves on her and... They're not karate, they're chai, tai chi. Chai chi. Don't... Chai chi moves. <laughs> no, they're tai chi. It's bad and it's way too long. And then we cut to him kind of pulling the same moves, continuing the moves on Adrian, and kind of bullying him, just trying to goad him into singing. And what happens next is is glorious. So he overflows in urge to sing. Yeah, he just he was he shook up the bottle and the cap came off. He uh, boiled the water with the. Handle thing on too long. Yeah. He's got the music in him, and he couldn't hold it for too much longer. Yeah. Yeah, he just bursts out singing and dancing around the room, and I hate it. I felt very uncomfortable. (laughs) And And he gets angry and leaves. Yeah. The the whole point of, of these people's job is for them to dance and sing, and somehow he's embarrassed that he is dancing and singing like everybody else is. Yeah. How, how could you make me do that? I'm so embarrassed. I, I feel like psychologically, I, I'm going to nitpick his psychological problems right now. I feel like even though everyone else is doing it this whole time, I feel like if he does it, he's going to ever he's going to think everyone's on to him. Yeah, he has a secret. Yeah. Yeah. And... So outside, later, Adrian attempts to shoot Danny with a silenced pistol, and goddammit, he miss. I've never been so mad. <laughs> There's so many false shootings of Danny. <laughs> he gets shot at a lot, but you'd be surprised by how little he actually takes a bullet. He and... never he never reacts, too. There's a bunch of scenes here right, right away where Adrian is trying to kill Danny, and Danny is just completely oblivious to these attempts. It's, it's somehow this movie takes a brief vacation from being about these characters learning to become singers and becomes a Looney Tunes cartoon. It's the Roadrunner cartoon all of a sudden. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a montage, a little happy montage of Adrian assassin. <laughs> a brief montage of Adrian's assassination attempts of Danny. Assassinating? Here's the well, sash. Well, Danny is doing Tai Chi in the park and slapping this Asian lady in the face. Yeah. <laughs> so. One of them Chinese he doesn't get. Adrian tells the gang that when this job is done, so is Danny. 
Oh. <laughs> that, but he, that he, then he immediately goes back on his word, though. He doesn't wait until the job is over. He continues to attempt to shoot Danny. Yeah. He couldn't, he just can't contain his excitement. He's, he's got two things in him, the music and murder. <laughs> Honestly, I was loading my gun as I was watching this movie. <laughs> Russian roulette. Then you flight to Australia. Australian roulette. Wait, did I say honestly? Right. I don't want to get that mixed up. <laughs> Australian roulette where you put six bullets in the chamber and then point it at Nick Giannopoulos. <laughs> National pastime. <laughs> we cut to a scene of Danny writing a happy little song about apples. They mostly like it, except that little kid from before who says the line, Apples are boring. I want a song about violence, something I can sink my teeth into. With the kids talk like that? Is it kids these days? Had Nick Giannopoulos ever fucking spoken to a kid before writing this movie? He's not allowed around kids. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, at all times. He's on a radar? Yeah. He has to go door to door. Do they have Megan's Law in Australia? <laughs> he has to go door to door and tell people, Hey, I'm Nick Giannopoulos of the Wogboy fame. So they fired Danny for his song, like I would do. But they let him keep the money, which I wouldn't. Because, it, well, it's just five grand. Why would you even... He asks if they wanted it back. Don't and they're ask. Like, nah, keep it. <laughs> five grand. What's well, five grand among not friends? Honestly, though, they did pay him before, knowing what they were going to do. That's true. But we got sad music, and that means this is a sad moment, I guess. So I want to... Punch Nick Giannopoulos in the hair. I want his hair's blood on my fists. It's Doctor Octopus starter kit. Doctor Octopus starter kit. It's like it's like a, a kind of middle part. It's like he was going for like a a Nick Carter, but he couldn't commit. Ah, he couldn't commit. Ah, oh, he's it's going, a plot point. He was going for a <laughs> Travolta. That makes a lot of sense, considering his obsession with Greece. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that was a joke that just made everything make sense. <laughs> yeah. Don't correct this movie's flaws. Yeah, Zuko. <laughs> <laughs> so this kid shows up again, who, by the way, we haven't established, but it's Isla Fisher's character's son. And the uncle that he referred to previously was Marcus, Russell Dykstra's character. Yes. And he has some more useless dialogue about, like, basically, don't go, my mom loves you. Really? No. <laughs> and then Danny leaves. And back in the garage, they use their model house, which, hey, it's back, to plan a heist. That's right. a new development. <laughs> After all this time, we finally get to what is, I suppose, the central plot of the, of the movie, at least for now. This what, is wait, part two. Stop. <laughs> This is the first of several times in the movie that it shocked me by actually calling back to useless things that happened earlier. See, right. they're not useless. But they're not... He, he didn't do it right. If the, It's <laughs> no. just a collection of confusing scenes that gets drunk together at the end. It's like when you're sewing and you do like that the loops and you you know then you pull at the end and it kind of all straightens out. Or like a tattoo where when they're starting it, it looks all like messy and they wipe off all the extra ink and it looks really pretty except this doesn't when it's done isla it's fisher what? does yeah it's a tattoo of isla fisher so maybe yes. it's an allegory <laughs> so they get a knock on the door and hey it's the six flags guy but he tells kirsty that 
Danny has a surprise for them. And so this old dude and the world's best Australian Betty White impersonator lead the senior citizens dance class in a rousing performance of the only Grease song Nick Giannopoulos has heard of. And da- and the old man is actually not that bad of a singer, and I think all pe- old people can sing, which means I can't wait till I'm older so I can sing and hit <laughs> puberty at the yeah, same time. Yeah, this movie needed more of these old characters. I think they were a highlight for me. Yeah. It's a full dance number of the song. With why? Why was this choreographed? <laughs> and what is what's the point of this scene? Is this convincing them to take him back? Yeah, look what he can do. <laughs> he can teach old people to sing Greece, which, which they knew because that's where they hired him. Yeah. And uh, I got chill. <laughs> they're multiplying. Adrian, this movie gives me chills, and they're multiplying. <laughs> That wasn't there. Like, if they didn't have the whole thing of him being fired and coming back, it wouldn't have made a single difference. No. No, it would not have. Uh, but Adrian tries to shoot him again. <laughs> and then this kicks off our little half montage. Right. Because this is where we get the dumb yoga sight gag and then overacting Nick Giannopoulos basically slapping the shit of an Asian lady. I think this was him getting his, like, racism yayas out. Yeah. And he said he was in there for years doing Tai Chi. He sucks at it. This is yoga? <laughs> no, no, it's not a Tai Chi. It's Tai Chi. Okay. I don't fucking know the tai difference. Tea. It's like chai. centering It's yourself. Chai Tea. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not stretching. He's just moving his arms kind of like, almost like if he's underwater. You know, slow motion arm movements. That's that's funny, right? <laughs> and he's and, not facing the right way. And Yeah. Lots but, of misunderstandings and mishaps. He mentioned. He, he mentions that he was. Did he not mention that he was in it for quite some time too? Like you would think over time you'd kind of gather what to do. But not him. He's a dummy. That's, yeah. That's he's a wog. Yeah. <laughs> that feels really wrong. Right. <laughs> so Adrian, meanwhile, is trying to snipe him from a rooftop. Right. While standing, he doesn't even... You're on a roof, he doesn't even mount the sniper. Or, like, he just he's standing on a roof with a sniper. And in the open. And then he falls through the rusted roof. Okay. Because reasons. (laughs) In the hospital, Adrian's all beat up, and the gang tells Nick that they can't go through with the gig anymore. Uh. And holy shit, they said wannabes again. Chug! 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 But Danny doesn't take no for an answer and decides that they're subtly hinting that they want him to be Adrian's replacement and decides to put on the show whether they like it or not. I don't understand why they needed five members. So, so actually, none of this makes sense if you think about it. So just <laughs> in the last scene, it's revealed they're planning a heist, right? I think we kind of skipped over that a bit. They're planning a heist. Uh, they were originally going to be at this kid's birthday party as entertainers. But the gimmick, the secret, is that they're there to rob the place, right? Unsus- unsuspected, because they're allowed in under the guise of being children's entertainers, right? I guess. Follow me so far. So, if they're only pretending to be good children's entertainers, they don't need to learn how to do it properly. Yeah, I mean, like, so, they don't even need to actually perform. Yeah, so they don't really need Nick at all. It becomes apparent, actually, that they weren't intending to actually go on stage, too. Yeah. And so then they say, you know, oh, we can't do it because there's, there's not a five guy. What the f*** not? 
There's no limit. It's not like it's a it's a game a curling game or something. You need a certain number of people. They're like we signed five on the sheet, and there's a big paperwork mountain that we'd have to fill out if we removed a member. <laughs> I think what might have happened. I, I I might be overthinking this. I think originally because. He, if Nick found out that he's gone, he would think there's a guy down. He would need to partake in this. And I'm thinking they originally like, let's not do this. So we'll tell him it's we can't go on without this well, other member. Why don't they tell him this? Hey, we're gonna do it. Don't worry about it. We'll go on. The show must go on. We don't need him. He didn't do anything anyway. <laughs> That's true. That's the point. He's not. His his get them because he was silent. I guess this whole part just doesn't make sense. The whole movie doesn't make sense. <laughs> and so then they drive to a house, which, speaking of doesn't make sense, Nick immediately proclaims that it looks familiar, and it doesn't. <laughs> so I assume it's a famous Australian building, or no, like from his last movie or something. That's, that's actually a joke, because earlier he mentioned, because the model well, I house. I get it, the model house, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's uh, funny. I hated that joke. I But yeah, the model was a... house was a floor plan. And yeah. this is the exterior. Mm-hmm. Well he saw the the floor plan still has an outside to it though, does it not? It kind of. It's it has walls. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're so... thinking too much about this movie. <laughs> so they show up and Danny says some cares. And he proclaims them the wannabes. Twice. That's two more shots. Please drink responsible. I'm starting to slur and I can't continue. So they get all started on their heisting with a laptop and. Yeah, that's how simple this is. Just pull out a laptop and start typing stuff. And then, okay, we're good, we're good. No, pull out an old IBM netbook. (laughs) (laughs) This is where the movie becomes the movie Hackers all of a sudden. It even looks like Johnny Lee Miller with the. With the blonde hair, too. If you dyed it black, you'd look a lot like Angelina Jolie in Hackers. Sure, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> so then we meet the character, Aurora Van Dyke, a.k.a. Rory. Oh my god. This actress swings for the f***ing fences. <laughs> oh my god. First uh, off, yeah, she looks like Ming-Na Wen, which is cool. Good for her. She's actually she's actually Latina and not Asian, which threw me for a loop at first. <laughs> so, secondly, if if Hammer was chewing the scenery, and Nick Giannopoulos is tearing chunks out of an armchair with his teeth, then this character f***ing devoured the rest of the set for the movie. I had read about the whole thing about wog humor before the movie started, so when I was I was kind of surprised to go, hey, this movie isn't that racist yet, and now this scene starts, and I go, oh. <laughs> I've never seen hamming it up done with so much relish. Oh, How many man. food references can I cram into this rant? Oh, it's... Holy <laughs> Good for her. It's... I actually, on the IMDb page, one of the comments said, I haven't seen this movie, but my drama teacher's in it. She plays Rory. Oh and I feel so sorry for whoever posted that. <laughs> Their drama teacher. Do you think it, it was? Do you think it was Nick Giannopoulos? <laughs> <laughs> My drama teacher is Sense. <laughs> I got a role for you. Sounds <laughs> like she's really been in much before or after this movie, but uh, if this is her, if this is on her reel. I can see why. This is her real. <laughs> this is her attempt to try and get noticed. 
in this movie is being the most flamboyantly ridiculous character. So as she babbles on, Danny notices Jimmy King at the party. You know that guy from the start of the movie with the gong? So there's a, t- a tense moment, and then the show's going to start. Some Someone heist, so Marcus helps Stewie look for a toilet. Wink, wink. As Hammer types away on the computer. That was not a sexual wink, by the way. He's looking... He's, he doesn't actually have to go to the bathroom. He's looking for stealing stuff. Right. Get your heads out of the gutters. I, this is where the movie... This is actually... I started to like the movie a little bit after this part. Because it was like, this is where the heist is... Yeah. This is Ocean's Eleven. This is where yeah. the movie incredibly disappointed me, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Danny tries to butt in, saying, oh, the bathroom's that way, but Hammer convinces him to... To do some fucking diaphragm exercises again. Which was actually brilliant for Hammer. But it was annoying for everyone else. Yeah. I, well, Hammer just kind of took the bullet, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, we took the bullet, because you could still hear it as Stewie and Marcus are going upstairs to steal <laughs> I guess, yeah, you can. These, I can't believe that these useless pieces of shit are masters of crime, apparently. Like... <laughs> They do you, Jeff. They have a laptop. What do you want? They're thorough. Like, they, like, they steal a diamond necklace, but, like, it's all, like, you know, like, heist. And then they try to escape. But Danny makes them put on the show. You know, we should actually have a podcast where we plan out a heist and go through with it. What? Why do you think that's a good idea? Especially since it's announcing a heist. Because then everyone will get ready for a heist and it will never happen. <laughs> you said we'd go through with it, though. But. <laughs> so the drunk English bear mascot <laughs> tells a story while drinking and smoking and gets kicked out. Yeah. He's fun, actually. The actor passed away this year, earlier this year. That's um, upsetting. But, yeah, he was, he was a welcome addition to the movie. So the drunk bear is a character that shows up in the movie, and, and it's, it's given the impression that uh, it's a famous children's entertainer. They actually, someone actually goes up to him. I think I forget who it was. was is, it, is it Danny who goes up to him? or someone? It's, it's the guy that was in the suit, the rat yeah, suit. Stewie, yeah. yeah. Stewie approaches him and says, big fan of yours, I loved your work. And he goes, piss off. You know, he's basically just uh, a drunken, jaded uh, character. And, I'm not, and this is where I thought there were, you were going to see more of the movie. Like we were talking about how it would be more yeah. like, where you get, you know, the the dark insider world of what it's like to be a children's entertainer. I, I was hoping for a lot more of this. That's what this character was. He was, you know, Barney the Bear. He was just the, yeah, the death to Smoochie character. The reference. <laughs> this whole movie just feels death to Smoochie after this. But it's, it's this character and his complete misuse. And yeah. the next scene here, the performance... That completely made me tap out of this movie and go, okay, all right. <laughs> and I'll tell you why once we talk about the performance scene. Yeah. So the wannabes in their dumb costumes say, they're next. And we're up to ten now, so take another shot and a drink. They're planning some more heist stuff behind the scenes. You know, the alarm's going to go off in 15 minutes, so we got to get out of here. <laughs> then the assistant lady, I can't remember what her name is, but she's a lovely lady. Yeah. Uh, she... Welcomes the wannabes, which eleven, to the stage, <laughs> and what happens next can only be described as something out of my worst nightmares. You have entered the twilight zone. They take the stage, and Nick Giannopoulos 
does some spastic dancing, repeating his new catchphrase, All right! All right! Before saying, <laughs> Hello, boys and girls! How is everybody today? It's In- like a pedophiliac uh, Mickey Mouse. It's yeah, a- he makes a very strange character choice here. It's a bloody Brody impression that chills me to the bone. Hey! Hey, f*** you! <laughs> And he starts dancing again, but you can't call this dancing more than you could call a f***ing marionette dancing. It's kind of like he just, like, stomps in place. Yeah, like, kill it. I want to slap him in the chops. I wish Adrian had a better shot. (laughs) I want to cry. This whole scene makes me want to cry. I think Nick Giannopoulos ruined my year. (laughs) It's like, watching him is a train wreck. Every time I close my eyes, I see this. I just see him dancing. All right. Ugh. So uh, I will admit that every other character actually had some funny shit in this scene. They did, and th- that's what I liked about this scene. So, uh, you know, he's trying to introduce Wally the Wombat and say, you know, Wally, and just, hi. That but, actually made me laugh a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, tell a joke, w- w- Wally. Two lesbians walk into a bar, and he just immediately cuts them off. All right! But, oh, then he starts doing this, I think it's like a satanic summoning ritual. It's like, he's like, he's a funny wombat. And just tears actually, like, propelled, ricocheted out of my eyes. Holy shit. Stop. There's so many things I would like to do to Nick Giannopoulos after this point. Okay, wait. By what you would do to him in, like, a sexual or... Yeah, skinning him and bathing him in vinegar in a sexual way. (laughs) It can be done. So, I also, like, Hammer's total lack of censorship in this scene. Uh, You know, they they call me the Hammer for a reason. Oh, because he likes hammering and nails. Not all I like hammering in. He starts air thrusting. And, and doesn't he mention, like, or something? Yeah. He says some it's just sexual slur. Total lack of censorship. And we just got a pissed off Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fun. But. Yeah, yeah so so they, they even talked to the kid here, too. They said, you know, it's, it's this kid's birthday. And uh, they're. What is the line? He says, How old are you, kid? It's like six, five. Oh, yeah, here it is. Okay. Uh, I'm five today. You want to make it a six? Sit down and shut up. Yeah. Which, I would see. I'd see that group. Well, not not this particular group. I'd see that group sans Nick Giannopoulos. Well, and this is where the plot of this movie completely falls apart. Because if you think about it, like, of all of the scenes in the movie, this is really the meat of the plot, right? This is where they're finally getting to what they're building up to and what the, what the jumping off point is for what the rest of the movie is going to be is that these, this group of the wannabes finally performs in front of an audience. Um, it goes completely disastrously wrong. But, spoiler alert, uh, they cons- people consider it to be a successful performance. The kids love them and they're booked for other shows after this. That's where we get to after the scene. Yeah. But this entire party scene... Like, the performance aspect of it starts with the bear, the guy in the bear costume who was just there a minute ago, 
getting <laughs> thrown out violently. For doing the same thing. For drinking, yeah. He's, he doesn't even do anything anywhere near as bad as the, what the wannabes do. He, he just happens to have a flask and, he's, and a smoke, and he's just kind of being like a bitter kid. But he doesn't swear. He doesn't insult people. He's just kind of chatting. And he's a beloved, legendary performer, and they throw him out in his yeah. So you're figuring in the reality of this movie that, you know, that is to set up the fact that these people have a tough, they're a tough act to follow. They have to wash their mouths and kind of work with this. But they don't do that at all. They just keep swearing and, and, and telling the birthday kid to sit down and shut the up and threatening them and stuff like that. And, and I feel like the point they're trying to make is that that's what kids like, right? And, and that would be great if there were no adults present, right? Like if it was just a scene where maybe the adults are like, oh, okay, let's just leave. And then the kids are like, we love these guys. And the parents are like, okay, I don't know, I don't know why they love yeah. these guys. They're popular. And it turns out it's because they're, they're naughty and they're doing the kids the kid don't, kids acts don't do, like saying poopy, poopy, fart, fart, or like, you know, swearing and stuff like that. Because kids love beeves and butthead and stuff like that and stuff that's a bit too mature for them. So that could be an important plot point in this movie. But it's not. It's not. <laughs> the adults just like, inexplicably more permissive than they were only a minute <laughs> before this. Yeah, they love it. They're loving it. Yeah. I, I want to ask, did you guys notice the two kids in, like, the back row? They're dressed like Pee Wee Herman. No! No. They had, like, slicked hair and, like, that grayish suit with a bow tie. I tried to affix my eyes to the screen as little as possible during this <laughs> entire performance. Take my word for it. You're going to see Nick Giannopoulos with his dumb middle-parted hair and a too tight green jumpsuit dancing for the rest of your life after you see this scene embedded, burned into your retinas. I start counseling on Monday. But everything starts going to shit, and then the bear mascot comes back, and they just kind of get in a royal rumble, like, on stage. Yeah, it breaks into a fight. And the wombat head gets knocked off in a glorious uppercut that, like, you missed Danny, but it was cool anyway. Then Danny discovers a necklace, the necklace. I was scared at this point because I didn't want him to f*** this up. <laughs> so you the necklace inside the wombat nose and hides it after some prompting from Marcus. He... Which it was very obvious he had something. <laughs> yeah, it was... People should have noticed. No one was paying attention, though. They were trying to avert their eyes like you were. <laughs> but to this popular performance... Sure. So he quickly says, you know where the wannabes have a good night, and ushers them off stage. He said wannabes three more times at this point, but I could be wrong. I don't care, drink every time either way. Do we have a count? No. Oh. So the alarm goes off, and Rory realizes she's being robbed. And it wasn't actually 15 minutes in real time, but you could have fooled me. So, <laughs> uh, please kill this actress. I miss Isla Fisher. <laughs> I missed her the second she was off screen. She completely disappears for a good chunk of this movie. She pierred it. <laughs> she Pierre Gringoire. So everybody who has to leave, well, everybody has to leave, but as they do, they have to leave through a metal detector, and Danny's pissed at the rest of the group because they lied to him and he refuses to give Russell Dykstra the necklace. Uh, and everyone's getting all beeped, but Danny doesn't. He just gets all felt up. And then it turns out that he gave the necklace to the bear ma mascot. He's getting arrested instead of them. Ooh, that was not obvious from a mile away when he was feeling up the bear mascot ten minutes ago. 
back in the garage, the gang, still in their dumb outfits, have Danny all tied up with a gun to his head. Because he f***ed everything up. <laughs> yeah, and he makes fun of them for f***ing up. And Russell's not having any of it. Then Jimmy King shows up <laughs> and tells them that their act was huge, people love Danny, and that he's going to make them a lot of money. So, uh, speaking of guns, do either of you have one I could please borrow? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. <laughs> Canada! But Danny tries to leave, and Jimmy says, you haven't changed, have you? Oh, oh. <laughs> he remembers him. You're f***ing kidding me. He remembers that kid from 25 years ago for 30 seconds on a TV show. If you met Nick, whether he'd be a kid or an adult, I don't think you'd forget him, unfortunately. So Danny still tries to leave, but Jimmy tries to get him to stay. Marcus and Danny get in a fight. Wannabes instead again, take a shot. Russell Dykstra is giving it his all. And I really don't know why he's giving it his all. Why did he bother? It, it always bugs me when you watch a bad movie like The Host and Saoirse Ronan is acting her heart out. You're like, don't give an Oscar-worthy performance in a bargain bin movie. It hurts. It hurts to watch. Well, you don't want to lower yourself <laughs> to their extent. You want to look better than them. Already did by appearing in the movie. <laughs> there are no small roles, just small actors. <laughs> exactly. So we cut to an episode of Rove Live about the group. Holy f- it's actually Rove McManus. Giannopoulos has more connections than I do. He pulls the goddamn strings of the system. Is the clause they have to be an Australian celebrity? Russell Crowe is appearing next. But they sing the Apple song live on Rove McManus. Adrian watches them from the hospital bag. Bed. Hospital bed. And just... Honestly, chug a few kegs at this point. I've lost track of how many times they've said wannabe. Well, they're famous now. They're, they're famous now. So it's it's the word on everybody's lips. Yes. Cosplay idea. The wannabes. Oh, hey, that's a good idea. No one will get it, but you'll hate yourself. Let's have a Dr. Octopus wig and some fake eyebrows. <laughs> you don't need eyebrows. You need you just need dead uh dead caterpillars. Right. So Jimmy tells the gang they've got a million dollar recording deal, so to start writing songs. I need to start in the kids' uh, music business, because it doesn't look like it takes much. (laughs) And and it pays well. More of this would have been great. If this movie was just a satire on children's entertainers, you know, like like if it was really a takedown piece on the Wiggles saying, you know, anyone can write a children's song, it's easy, you just write stupid stuff and... You know, in this case, they they're crude and their songs are. Did you did anyone write down the lyrics of this song? Because I I remember um. They write a song about smelly socks and dirty jocks. That's the one I know. And farting in the tub. I'm, I don't like that line, but I am a big fan of that song. But it's 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 one song. They only really it's. I think that's the right direction to go. And yeah. you know, If this is more like something like you know, if Jason, um, what's his name? The guy from uh, Get Him to the Greek and Sarah Silverman. Or Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Marshall. <laughs> We're getting Sarah Silverman. Jason Siegel? Jason Siegel. If Jason Siegel wrote some songs for this, you know, or something kind of like that, where it was just kind of experience of this of this crude, clearly out of their element, children's entertaining group who succeeds through failure, and there were some clever songs in here, this would be a pretty good movie. But 
the plot of this movie and the premise of this movie is only a, a small, maybe two or three scene part of what is actually the big plot of this movie. That yeah. sounds like it would be a really good Coen brother movie. Or like, just a, described. or like a This Is The Wannabes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I want to point out earlier in this movie, Danny introduced Stewie to yoga tapes in a throwaway scene I didn't think was important. But Stewie has gradually gotten, like, really chill over the course of the movie. Now he's reading a Buddhist book, and he dresses like a swami. You know, I never noticed that. Development I didn't see coming. (laughs) And, so yeah, they're writing songs about farting in the tub and dirty socks with the help of Kirsty's son. Smelly socks. Please make this movie end. I like wearing smelly socks. And... No. They record the song, and we get a montage of them performing it and signing it. And I, I really do love how just not into it Marcus is. Because I like to think that Russell Dykstra wanted out, and they just wouldn't let him. <laughs> they must have had some sort of incriminating pictures or something. Like, he looks like someone who's being blackmailed into doing a movie. Yeah. I, feel like, I feel like he showed up, and he thought it was the end scene, and then... They're like, wait a second, we're filming another movie? I did not sign for this. <laughs> so they had to put it all into one movie. So we got to Adrian recovering in the hospital, watching a news thing about them. Also, there's something about Bill Gennaro, who apparently actually exists, and is coming down for the Oscars. Yeah. The Oscars. Clever. The Oscars! Because <laughs> they're what? Australian. Are, are you upset about something, Clairvoyant? He kicks a hole through the TV. <laughs> which I would do, except I'm watching this on my really expensive new laptop. And then we get a performance montage with some pretty great magazine covers flying by. Like, Danny, we're bigger than God. Wally the Wombat, Australia's new sex symbol. And Hammer, I'm not a virgin. And there's stuff in the background like... Bill Gennaro stocking scandal and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's satire stuff. Yeah. And it's over this some the innuendo filled song that I want to forget. And Adrian watches pissed off again. With Kill Danny tattooed on his knuckles. <laughs> no laugh. <laughs> it's he's he's become sideshow Bob almost at this point. Just, <laughs> that's not that far from the truth. He try he's trying to kill this obnoxious guy. That's true. It means the Danny, the stepping, stepping on rakes, and and it is an entertainer that he's trying to kill too. Yeah, I I, I think I'm going to get that. That's gonna be my next tattoo. <laughs> just kill Danny on your knuckles. Actually, no, that'll come off really bad. I'll just tattoo Nick Genopolis's face on my <laughs> his cartoony face. There you go. So the problem I have with this movie. Is It's like really juvenile humor. It's like a kid's movie, but with adult jokes thrown in, so there's literally no target audience. Yes. Like, who is he going for with this? Who is he directing this towards? What bugged me is there's an HMV sign. That's product placement, is it not? His master's voice. That's how they funded this movie. This HMV? (laughs) That's very depressing. Product placement. It would die. <laughs> well, at that point, not dying. So then in a, a McDonald's, we get a shitty Danny and Kirsty scene that evolves into an awesome Kirsty and Danny scene. 
He basically, he's like, yeah, I'm cool. I know you had a f***ed up life, but I'm here for you. And she just goes all woman power on him. Yeah, this is actually might maybe the best scene in the movie. Because <laughs> it's, it's such a standard scene in movies of just, like, the guy, like, just being there, like, oh, I'm in, like, romance movies or when there's a romantic interest, like, I'm there for you. I know you had a tough life, but from here on out... You know, Nick Giannopoulos is with you every step of the way, which it's, is not a not a good thing. You, you're a single mom, which is like she completely calls him out on how condescending he's being. Yeah, she streams as you, you condescending prick. You don't even know me. Yeah, literally, she's like, I've only been in like three scenes with you, and she says like, we handpicked you for this crime not because you were a good teacher, because we knew you were an idiot and we knew you'd fall for it. <laughs> and he apparently knew that. And then he gets really, yeah, he gets really confused. He's like, I, I know, I'm just a, a little confused right now. And he leaves confused and upset. And then she tries to stop him. Why? You did he the even, right thing. He even mentioned that he burned his leg warmers for her. And his headband, actually. Which, I, I'm bothered by, after this kind of awesome scene, she's like, oh, no, wait. No, don't, don't. Let her go. Let him go, man. Apparently, you have to burn clothing for women to accept you. This is true. Do I got burn? very limited clothing, though. This is a problem. So we cut to we cut to Rory making love with a ninety-year-old scullded husband on an oxygen machine while looking at a picture of Jill, Bill Gennaro. And I'll give you both twenty dollars if we never mention that sentence again. <laughs> <laughs> what sentence? <laughs> This is where we get into the next part of the plot. Of, uh, that'll the next of, plot, uh, rather. Part three. The sequel. Yeah, that's honestly how I thought of it, as this is when we get into the sequel, or what should have been the sequel. Clairvoyant, you're going to like this comparison. This is like the Les Mis of movies, because there's parts. It's like, first it's no Danny's part. No. Then it's Isa Fisher's part. No. Both musicals. Yeah. Bothy. About criminals. <laughs> so, Adrian shows up and reveals through a voice synthesizer, because apparently he lost his larynx, the truth of what happened that fateful first performance. And Rory shows up in Jimmy's office to confront him about the necklace. And the next day, at Kirsty and Marcus's place, the gang goes looking for Danny. So, Jimmy goes to Danny's mom's studio with flowers. And it's pretty clear that they know, that they know each other. Because she calls him James, and then she kind of, like, looks around. Like, ooh, we gonna f- Big twist here. <laughs> then Nick Giannopoulos comes home with a letterman jacket that he definitely did not earn. And he finds them in bed together, which was fast. Ew. And Danny's really upset, except he's not that upset. Even though he's strangling him. When his mom reveals, don't kill him, he's your dad. Ah! <laughs> well, that was addressed. <laughs> so, at, okay, stop, like, tying up loose ends, because that's the mark of a good writer. <laughs> well, it, it seems like it's a weird plot twist, because, you know, in the first scene, you kind of get the idea that, like, okay, so, so in the first scene, uh, Danny wasn't... Didn't he didn't wow Jimmy, right? He he tried, he failed, and Jimmy says, "You know what your problem is? Is you have no commitment. You need to you need to shape up and work this out." So you figure that, okay, at some point he's gonna 
show that he does have a commitment. He's going to prove this guy wrong. But then it turns out now he's his, he's literally his father. So yeah. and, and he, I don't think he ever really does prove himself, does he? Not really. No, like at the, there's no point where Jimmy really cares about talent or performance anymore. He's all about the money. He kind there's a part where he kind of proved me. He <laughs> proud at any point? Like does that happen? There's when he he came up with the whole Spoiler alert, later on, like, the kidnapping. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we needed a kidnapping plot out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, so... I, we all thought that the whole scene with Ronnie and the old man, her, her husband, Van, Mr. Van Dyke, and the, the party was a setup. It was the launching pad for these characters <laughs> to start to transition from a life of crime to a life of entertainment. But the life of entertainment and and whatever was a launching pad for this character because <laughs> they couldn't get. I don't know if this is a rewrite where they couldn't get enough of this lady. After. Yeah, I think they're like, wow, this Rory actress is killing it. They needed to bring her back, even though she was kind of just introduced as a minimal character, where you would just go, oh, okay, that was weird, and move on. No, it somehow sucked the plot out of the movie so that it's just about her scheme. <laughs> She becomes a main character, too. Her scheme, the, the, the last part of the movie, is them plotting to help her rape Bill Gennaro. Yeah. That's essentially the plot of the movie after, after this point. That is true. So we start the second act, the sequ- half sequel. Hmm. We start the second movie off with a quick gag. The Valjean chapter. About yeah. Jimmy being a former drag queen. Right. And Jimmy basically reveals that he's gay, and the only woman he's ever loved is the mom. The only woman. Yeah, woman. gets really on the head there. That's that actually gets kind of a funny moment because there's that line earlier where he says, you know, which one of them on the wall, and then when he finally goes, Jimmy Price, you're, you're not on the wall. He he points to the picture on the wall where he's dressed up in kind of a Marilyn Monroe type outfit, and yeah, is actually a, secretly a drag queen this whole time. Ooh. And he doesn't really recognize him until he does the smile. Yes. And uh, so Danny, Jimmy, Sally, Stewie, Kirsty, Ollie, bad names. This is like a straight up Tommy Wiseau labor of love. I like Kirsty. It's it's more in as a whole. You're looking at a part of the whole. <laughs> I guess yeah. So Danny's pissed and thinks Jimmy's only there because because. He walked out on the wannabes, which Jimmy didn't even realize. And Jimmy reveals the real reason he's there. And says that Aurora, Rory, has a plan to make amends, which we discussed briefly. The reason why Jimmy was so pissy in the first scene, where he insults Danny and calls him terrible, is that apparently he had just found out before that audition that Danny was his son. Yeah, so that's why he had a bone to pick with this kid and says you can do better. But instead of instead of giving him fatherly advice or whatever, he just shames him on that. It's the gong. He f***ed him up for 25 years. Yeah. He gives him a big zero. <laughs> yeah, why would you do that? <laughs> so pissed, I guess. <laughs> so Aurora reveals their next heist to kidnap Bill Gennaro for her. Which, by the way... Some characters say Gennaro, some say Gennaro, some say Gennaro, 
but I think she says it all three times herself. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be kind of like a play off of De Niro, almost? That's what I was thinking when they first said it. Yeah. Uh, so she's been stalking him, which, throwback. And she wants him. This is the same movie, by the way. And since the wannabes and Bill Gennaro are all going to be at the Oscars together, it's their perfect chance. Okay, why are they... What is... What exactly are the Oscars? The Oscars are a catch-all <laughs> award ceremony for actors and recording artists and children. Because, like, I'm like, was their song featured in a movie? <laughs> like, sure. the Oscars? But, like, where does it end? If it's a catch-all talent, like, you know, best blank goes to, where does it end? Is it, like, the best apple pie goes to Betty Smith of Perth? Yeah, Australia only has enough room for one award show, so they're trying to get it all done in one day. <laughs> it's a 24-hour thing where they just run through every topic. Yeah. They also so, have their election there, too. <laughs> it, they, they do it the same way. And the president is... I guess prime minister. I don't know. Nicodemus. <laughs> president Nicodemus. They basically say, nope, not doing it. And so Aurora kidnaps Ollie, which is the kid, the uh, Isla Fisher's son. And they're all trying to figure out a plan. And Danny has an idea. And then he says exactly what Nick Giannopoulos said to the actors when he pitched this movie. We're famous, don't you see? We can do anything. Anything we want. There you go. And then we cut to them as the Oscars. What? Which begs me, because Why? Danny thought of this whole plan that's about to happen, and it even shocked me. <laughs> so, Bill Gennaro is hosting, and he's clearly an Australian actor affecting a god-awful Brooklyn accent, and making really shitty, like, I don't know anything about Australia one-liners. That would only be mildly funny to an Australian citizen. So it wasn't just me thinking that he had a very exaggerated accent. Oh, he's... It's 100% not real. It's not even good. This is his, like, SNL sketch Sopranos starter kit kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, the wannabes win the Oscar for Best Children's Group, and holy sh**, I repressed this. Nick Giannopoulos does his f***ing alright thing again, <laughs> and Marcus rightfully pulls out a gun. On stage. <laughs> Which honestly feels like part of their bit. At first it felt yeah. like it. Everybody everybody seems to be just kind of going along with it, going, you know, oh, those wannabes, they're known for their gunplay. <laughs> and they put a Pulp Fiction gimp mask on Bill Gennaro. Yeah, for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> and kidnap him. Well, it does come into play later on, actually. It's a plot device. A weird one. <laughs> yes. And Danny keeps explaining the plan to the public for some reason. So Marcus shoots him. Thank That's you, God. Right. I actually, in my notes, I misspelled shot. I was so excited. <laughs> I have S-H-O-T-Q exclamation point Q exclamation point. <laughs> so when people realize it's not an act, the two EMTs, Isla Fisher and Jimmy King, in a drag, in skies. help him out. And he f***ing hams it up so much, like, I'm dying, oh, woe is me! Like, it's, ugh, ugh. At first I thought it was just bad acting, 
And then I realized it's the character's backpack. It's all fake. And it actually tricked me, and I hate that this movie tricked me. Well, see, the thing, though, it tricked you because you couldn't decipher the actor's bad acting from the character's bad acting, and that's not a good thing. Maybe it is. Maybe that's what... That's why he did it. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, oh, I acted bad in this movie on purpose. That's what plot twists need. When there's a plot twist, act badly, because then they will never know. And so, yeah, apparently it was all fake, which sucks. And they pull the old switcheroo. Nick Giannopoulos adopts a garbage Brooklyn accent worse than Bill Gennaro's. I I said it. Uh, Danny's doing an awful exaggerated accent off of another exaggerated <laughs> accent. He's doing a parody of the bad accent. Yeah. He puts on the Gimp mask. Yeah. It's like a reverse sift. <laughs> and then Bill completely breaks the fourth wall shamelessly, telling Kirsty that Nick is the worst actor he's ever seen, and then apologizing because he realizes she's the love interest. And he that seems to be... He starts calling out like movie terms here. He's like, oh, the love interest, sorry. And that seems to be Bill's gimmick for the rest of the movie. On and off. Yeah. <laughs> so the trade-off takes place. Rory demands Bill Gennaro. Uh, they have a bit of, you know, you first, no you first. And then Adrian kidnaps the fake Bill, who is Nick Giannopoulos. After all this. Yeah. A gimp mask, Nick Giannopoulos is strapped to the bed. And then Rory comes in, starts taking out toys and gloves from the nightstand and seducing them. This is by far the most disturbing part in this and possibly any movie. Is that, (laughs) first of all, there's exposition in this scene too, right? She's explaining that there's a clause in her marriage contract, right? There's a clause where if she has a baby, she gets $50 million or something like that. But she feels like her husband is is impotent or something like that, where she can't yeah you know, gonna have a baby with Bill Gennaro. But the problem is she is explaining this to Bill Gennaro slash Danny, who's actually Nick, you know, G Popolis or whatever, in in his gimp mask. So she's she's this entire scene is just her doing this exposition, explaining this last minute <laughs> huge long plot point. While giving Nick the most vicious hand job you've ever seen on screen. And the thing is, she's not supposed to be talking to him. She's not supposed to let on that, you know, her identity. So she's using the voice synthesizer. So she's giving Nick Giannopoulos, who's in a gimp mask, a hand job while talking through a voice synthesizer, wearing gloves, and, like... Yeah, there's you guys, nothing. You guys want another twenty bucks? <laughs> there's nothing right with this scene. This is the creepiest thing I've ever seen. And I hate that she's <laughs> using like kitchen gloves. Why not use like <laughs> surgeon gloves or something? Not these big rubbery ones. That would hurt. Rug burn. No. And we're not. Even, I mean, let's. I say for the sake of just not going there, we'll gloss entirely over the fact that they're just completely normalizing rape but this is, <laughs> even aside from that this scene is really f***ed up and the, honestly the, though the voice box thing goes into another gag in a minute here yeah where adrian reaches for his voice box to um to, to plug into his neck and to allow him to speak but it's actually instead of the voice box he's he's accidentally picked up ronnie's vibrator instead and jams that into his neck hole to start speaking yeah. And I want to say th- 
I hate to give this movie credit for this, but it instead of the cliched like whenever there's a rape scene, it's usually guy raping girl. This one's reversed. So yeah, but it's played for humor. Yeah. Yeah. Which still is kind of f***ed up. But... <laughs> but, yeah, so the gang plans to break in, and Bill Gennaro says, you can't just walk in, it's the third act climax. Holy <laughs> sh... And Marcus basically tells him to shut up, we're not in a movie. If only. So, yeah, the gang arrives in, they break in, Marcus pulls out a gun, split up, cheeky score. So, yeah, this is the vibrator scene. Hammer has to fight the Asian assistant, and Kirsty has to fight Adrian, I guess. And he uses a vibrator instead of a voice synthesizer. Meanwhile, the assistant and Hammer are having a dumb fight with kitchen tools, and... Uh, bad. So Rory tells Danny her evil plan of getting money by having a kid while <laughs> doing things to him. And Hammer in the assistant's fight has degraded into a similar situation. And it bites me because they bring Jet Li. You don't bring Jet Li into this movie. Yeah, they bond over their love of their mutual love of Jet Li, and uh, it stops being so much a fight. Yeah, because she has she has his head clenched between her thighs at this point. Her name is Lita, by the way. The uh, Lita, that's it. Yeah, I feel that Nick Giannopoulos wrote into the contracts that every actor was going to get laid during this movie. And that's why this scene exists. That's the only justification I have. No, it's the third act climax. (laughs) Oh, no, he did not just go there. (laughs) So, (laughs) Adrian and Kirsty burst in on Rory and the masked Danny, and Adrian immediately recognized that it's Danny from their shower scene earlier. Yes. Don't do callbacks. Don't do this. By looking at his crotch. Don't do this. I hate it. So they go to the kitchen to kill Danny because doesn't, Rory doesn't want to get blood on her sheets. And Marcus and Stewie are still around with the gun, so we got a bit of a standoff. Which they... Where have they been for the last five minutes? But they're here now. And Danny asks why Adrian hates him so much so Jimmy and Bill Gennaro show up. <laughs> And Jimmy says, he doesn't hate you, he hates himself. And he gives Adrian his wig. And And commitment. (laughs) Or was it commitment advice? Yeah, like commit to it. And and for some reason, because he gave Danny the same commit advice, I thought maybe, I don't know why, but I thought it was going to turn out that Adrian was his brother. What? <laughs> I don't... My mind went in a weird place. No, You're also my son. Game sets his game. He realizes you are also a drag queen. You are also a, a female impersonator. Therefore, I, I sense that in you, and you just need to be happy with yourself, which is the moral of this movie. Be happy with yourself. Is it? Are you sure about that? <laughs> sure. Be happy with your leg warmers. So... In them that, that's the moral of one of the plots. One of the... Which is weird, because you thought that in the first scene in the movie that Danny, after being told that he needs to commit, would learn how to commit. But no. He didn't. Adrian did. That was a moral plot for another character that hadn't even been introduced yet. (laughs) So Adrian hugs Danny crying, saying he loves him. And he tosses the gun, which ends up misfiring and shooting Danny. Yes! Thank God. It's real this time. (laughs) So Hammer and the assistant run in half-naked. 
And Kirsty tells someone to call the ambulance, and Stewie does. And it's just got, like, real dark. <laughs> so Rory <laughs> shows up and makes Bill strip. She has, like, her gun out, and she's making him strip. And Lita, the assistant, refuses her orders and reveals that she's Rory's sister, I guess. She has reasons. And then she complains about her plan, and her husband hears it all. And he's just a badass old man. He seemed all feeble, but he's great. <laughs> he's a he sassy old man. man. He's like, you, I heard it all. And he basically stands up and rips off his oxygen mask and kicks her in the balls. Yeah, well, she says, she says I can explain. And he says, uh, I wish you would. I'd, I'd never understand a damn word you're saying. Or saying. <laughs> I actually have that quote in my notes. <laughs> that is a pretty good part of the movie. I'll give that it one. It really is. And he asks for a divorce. And Rory screams a bunch in her native tongue and runs out like a crazy lady. Uh, Isla Fisher's crying, meanwhile, at actual tears, as she tries talking to Danny, who's on the floor bleeding. And Danny asks to speak to Bill. Why? No. <laughs> Don't. And Danny has a heartfelt speech to Bill about how he's been doing death scenes all wrong. You know, it's more of a in-and-out woozy feeling but this is good the... research and then he reveals he was shot in the elbow which would hurt but it's not fatal and before that bill was even like gesturing to isla fisher like no no i, I don't want to <laughs> don't don't bring i'm not here <laughs> so later at the wedding of jimmy and sally danny's parents i guess Took him long enough. He introduces the beautiful performer, Adriana, who is Adrian in drag, and looks a lot like Kirstie Alley. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing I noticed. But in the bathroom, Bill Gennaro is complaining on the phone about being at the wedding, and the janitor, Rory, overhears and ambushes him in the bathroom. So she gets her way after all. Yeah, that's the moral. Villains win. That's moral two for plot two. Plot two, moral two, the villains always win. So Danny kind of ignores it, even though he was mostly present for this, and asks Christy to dance to Adriana's music. And we end on a shot of the bathroom door as Rory rapes Bill. Wow. This movie has a weird thing with rape, and I hate that Christy got with Danny. But they didn't, like... Yeah. There was no kiss? Just that. That's because that was not part of the contract. <laughs> <laughs> so, over the credits, we get a shit music video by the wannabes about a, a Christmas song. And a did you watch all of it? Is. Yeah. Yeah, Me I do. <laughs> so, I can just feel Nick Giannopoulos just having sweet dreams and, like, daydreams, fantasizing, writing this movie... That, like, he and the other actors would be performing these characters on talk shows and stuff. He thought it was going to be the next big hit. He's like, oh, we'll appear in character. It'll be so fun. And it, it makes me hate him a little more. And then, yeah, the credits roll to Wannabe's songs. I recommend watching the entire credits. Uh, there is no post credit scene in which Nick Giannopoulos tumble dries with an armload of cheese graters. <laughs> But you can picture it. You're encouraged to do so. <laughs> and uh, Finn. That's it. What a 
Mm. I wish it was longer. Yeah, two hours later, we yeah, have two fully synopsized the plot of this ninety-minute movie. Yeah, like we. This I imagine this will be the longest episode because there is no other movie that is going to have this intricate of a plot. The Lord of the Rings trilogy did not have this intricate of a plot. <laughs> and and those movies are three hours long each. Yeah. So now for our Oz cars for this. Yeah, time. you did it. Uh, we we have our little award ceremony. That I'm, I'm losing train of thought. Just trying to think back on this movie because it lost its train of thought. But so first off, I guess we have what is? Who do you think is the MVP of this movie? And we'll start with you, Mike. Um. You know what? It's hard to say. I think I'd need to give a shout-out as an honorable mention of if you're just looking at who was given a role and performed most convincingly and like uh, admirably in that role, I would go with the guy who played uh, Jimmy... What was his last name again? Jimmy uh, King. Jimmy like, King. I thought he was a he was a likable character that would have been very serviced well in, an, in a better movie. That's fair, yeah. Taking that character full, fully formed and put him in a better movie and he would be fine. Um, as far as MVP, of uh, like, just watchability and just, like, making this more than just a boring watch, I gotta go with Lena Cruz for playing Aurora, <laughs> Rory Van Dyke. She was captivating whenever she's on the screen, whether she was horrifying or annoying or funny, she was not forgettable. That's true. She was like someone watched Phantom of, the o- Phantom of the Opera, the movie, and tried to do an impression of Carlotta, and yeah. it's... Ugh. But with the conviction and intensity <laughs> of Troll 2. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Brody, who is your MVP? Um. Okay, so... Best actor, legitimately, I'd find would be a tie between... It would be between Isla Fisher and Russell Dykstra, but because my golden life is to piss Clairvoyant off, <laughs> which I you think do so well, I am going to give it to good old Nick Junopoulos who plays Danny. He did a spectacular job. He nailed it. He knocked it out of the park. I think Nick deserves some credit for it. I mean, he threw this thing together, and it's it's admittedly really hard to actually get a movie done and he did it so good for him and like you as far as editing and mixing and all that i doubt he had anything to do with it but it's at least of a professional quality so that's you know more than we can say for some movies birdemic for example but i don't think he deserves Anything. <laughs> to, be, to be fair to Nick Giannopoulos, because of how much, you know, we've, we've definitely hated him through this entire thing, I think he definitely need to separate and put a wall up between him as a writer and as a performer or, let's say, actor. I have to give him some kind of credit. I mean, if, yeah. he, if he hadn't written this movie and was just, just one of the actors that was in it, he didn't do a bad job. There's actually parts where he was a little sympathetic and a little, you know, 
you kind of felt like he could in, when in the beginning. I'm like, I can I can see sitting here for 90 minutes and following this character's journey, but the journey didn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> so you get annoyed and frustrated with it because, and it, and it really is his fault at the end of the day because he's the one who went, yeah, this works. Let's put this on paper. I think because usually it's if they direct and act and write at the same time, usually the acting's bad. I think this is reversed. The writing was bad. <laughs> His acting, well, it was pretty bad, but I mean, for doing, like you said, for doing all those three things, it wasn't as bad as it could be. So if he's actually making draft after draft of Log Boy 2, then he's really getting learned from this experience, because this feels like it was a first draft that never got the real rewrite that it needed. Yeah. He forgot to go back and put jokes in. <laughs> or or someone no one told him that less is more. Insert joke here. Yeah. So what is what is your favorite quote? Um I'm gonna go back to where I started with with um I'd have more respect for my father if you showed me which one he was. <laughs> and Brody quote It would have to be Don't bother, I can't understand a fing thing you say anyways. <laughs> That is my favorite quote because you don't hear this guy talk. (laughs) I swear those are the first words coming out of his mouth. This old guy who looks like Donald Sutherland with long hair. Yeah, with like a skullet, too. Spends the entire movie in it silent in a wheelchair. Then when he finally shows up to briefly subvert the villain from getting her wish, it's it's kind of an oh moment. Yeah, I think I have a few lines that amuse me, but one thing I like is, Danny, you're my son, and I love you, but you're such a loser. Yes. <laughs> so, who who would you recommend this movie to, Mike? Um, wow. Uh, I th- you know, it's, it's a movie that's so juvenile that adults wouldn't like it, but so adult that kids wouldn't like it. So I would say... Either like people like children who are maybe like twelve or thirteen who are on the bri- you know the brink of adolescence, so that like any R-rated movie seems you know kind of like like you're getting away with murder, or possibly really stoned bored people. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it. I wouldn't say it's the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, it's just don't pay attention to it. Don't like. If you feel like you're wanting to follow the plot and give it credit and, and stuff like that, don't do not do that. Just watch the jokes and be like, okay, this worked, this didn't, this worked, this didn't. Move don't on. do what we did. Yeah, don't try and make sense of it. Don't relive our mistakes. So, Brody, who would you recommend this to? Um, I agree with Mike. It's It doesn't quite, it, it doesn't quite fit with adults, but it doesn't quite fit with children either. Um, people that have really goofy Bad senses of humor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People that have really goofy and that are really silly and like kind of, I guess, slapstick in a sense. I don't know. I dumb it, people. It, yeah. <laughs> no, I slapstick. I don't think it really. Fits in any category, but I'd probably give it to someone that doesn't really know much about movies, and I'm feeling a little conceited now. Uh, someone that doesn't know much about movies and 
is very goofy and silly. What is the rating of this movie? Anyway? R. It is R. Okay. Or whatever the Australian equivalent of R is. Uh, on yeah. the cover that's on IMDb, it says 15 plus, which is oh. probably M M15 plus. Probably the rating system in Australia or wherever. Okay. It's uh, I would recommend this movie. Uh, this goes straight out to all those like six-year-olds that wait till their parents go to sleep and then watch their dad's DVD of like Wedding Crashers unrated. Yeah, like this is this is for you. This is straight up your alley. It's an R-rated movie, so you're automatically gonna get more giggles out of it. Cause oh, they said. Sh- and Except there's no nudity in it though, so you might feel ripped off. That's true. That's <laughs> not fair because I remember me and Clairvoyant watching Honey Crashers. <laughs> <laughs> this goes to us. Who did I recommend <laughs> this to? Myself, ten years ago. <laughs> Actually, I think we'd love this movie 10 years ago. I don't know. I was 12. <laughs> I was old enough to make decisions. It's quotable, I guess. Yeah, it's not going to leave my memory. <laughs> and I think we well, we have another question. I think there's one more. Oh, thumbs up it. or thumbs down? <laughs> there's no There's no intricate... 99.8% wish you wouldn't give this movie. Yeah. But, but a, it's just a straight up thumbs up or thumbs down. Okay. Um, th- thumbs down. Thumbs down, Brody? <sighs> hmm. See. No, don't think about it. No, because I, I know you're going to give it a thumbs down, so I don't know if I want to <laughs> agree with you. Um, yeah, thumbs down. I'm going to give it, it a like, flaming middle finger. If it, <laughs> if it was like a grading system where there was some room for like what score would it get, I'm like, I'd say a solid 4 out of 10. 40? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> that doesn't exist. So we're no. stuck with a rounding down to zero. That's fine. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's, uh, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just, all right. Oh, no. <laughs> Get one last one in there. Thanks for making it through episode three. I hope you're enjoying the season because the movies are getting worse. The Profanity Orchestra piece today has been children's classic, There's a Hole in My Bucket. Remember that you can enter to win the Wannabes, alongside The Hunchback of Notre Dame, The Last Keepers, and two mystery movies right now. Go to our Facebook slash Podcast or Twitter at BlindBy for details. You can also follow Bloody Brody at Bloody Brody and the Nerdcore Cabaret at Nerdcore Cabaret. On the nose, I like it. Special thanks to Mike Still for gracing our presence, HHWLOD for hosting us, my parents for letting me break in and record in their basement and eat all their food, Nick Giannopoulos' agent, who seems like a lovely lady and is probably actually Nick Giannopoulos, let's be honest, and you, the listener. Aww.
All music for this episode is royalty-free and provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. For more information, please visit creativecommons.org.